Hi, and welcome to the Hello Live podcast, brought to you by the Hello Foundation. I'm your podcast host, Kelly Bodden, and I'm a speech-language pathologist based in Portland, Oregon. You will receive 30 minutes of free CEUs for listening to this episode in its entirety. I'll give you instructions on how to document your participation at the end of the episode. I'll also tell you how to get in touch with any questions or comments you have for us. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, this is Sharon Soliday, and today I want to talk about the service delivery model, often called the 3-1 model. My plan is to talk to you and describe in sort of a relevant linear process what we went through at the time in Portland Public Schools to implement this model. And then I will follow up with the frequently asked questions that we have received and how we frequently answer them. To begin with, why did Portland Public Schools in 2001 and 2 decide to implement something different in terms of service delivery model? And what we decided was based on the fact we had an expectation under that time no child left behind had just come into the equation and we had an expectation to align intervention with curriculum and we had been doing a great deal of in-house training of our speech language pathologists in order to make sure that we understood how to integrate with curriculum and what our therapy would no longer be and what it would be and uh, really it came down to we needed time with teachers to consult and to talk and the only way we were really going to find that time and break free of the little room we're often kept in and and the pullout service we had done for 300 years was to create uh, an opportunity to see teachers and that was only going to happen by changing what we did and so we changed our service model what we looked at was based on some experiences a CF in the district had in Wisconsin and they had not formalized the process but in the service model so we decided well let's go ahead and run a pilot project of providing traditional direct intervention to students for three consecutive weeks followed by a week of service now a week of consultative service I want to clarify that that week of consultative service, the expectation is that we're going to be talking with teachers or parents or other specialists in order to address therapy for kids and progress for kids. This was not a time in which we held testing to complete or we were allowed to just sit and exclusively do paperwork. There was an expectation that we would be in classrooms seeing instructional practices, seeing how our kids were actually interacting, and also modeling for teachers how our service and therapies could transition and generalize to classrooms. So with that in mind, a little brief overview of Portland Public Schools at that time. At that time, we were a school district of about 50,000 students. There were just over 100 schools that included alternative and charter school programs. There were 2,850 students served by district speech pathologists, and this ranged from students with mild to moderate speech difficulties to students with multiple disabilities that required uh, additional intensive services. So our typical pullout kids to kids that were in self-contained classrooms. Uh, We had about 80 speech pathologists filling 60 full-time positions at that time, and we did not work 
with uh, speech pathology assistance or speech assistance um, at that time. Now, the reason uh, we decided to uh, implement a pilot project was we really, it was part of the way that we got buy-in from our administration and from teachers. We're not big fans of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and seeing the pendulum swing one way to the other, one extreme to the other. So the way we presented it to administration and then to families was that we wanted a year-long pilot project, a year-long specifically because we needed to see what this was like in um, in the spring when testing needs are different and the fall when scheduling is very different you know the year fluxes for us so we wanted to see how that model would influence it we also requested that the year-long project be district-wide because notoriously i have seen school districts where they would just pilot in one or two schools well if you've got a rock star in that school and it looks wonderful everyone else is freaked out saying i can't duplicate that but more importantly we realized that Every school has different demands. The goal is not to standardize speech service so it looks the same across the district. On the contrary, we really wanted people to have, speech pathologists to have, the opportunity to really cater to what a district is supposed to be doing in that particular building for that particular kid in that particular classroom so it was we had an expectation that it was going to look slightly different in terms of how the speech pathologist is spending their time in the building depending on the week that you went at the same time in order administration wanted to make sure that everybody followed the same calendar so that they understood when we could do consultative work and it kind of prevents it that way you could at least bring people together in small groups or larger groups all at the same time so that is what uh, we agreed to we then presented it to parents and knowing that we had to get buy-in and we created a formal letter and explained what we were doing most importantly we explained that this was not going to change the quality of service in fact well, it would change the quality in terms of it was going to get better. We were going to be greatly aligned with what was happening in the child's classroom. In addition to that, uh, we talked about an availability of an administrator if they wanted to come in and talk about this or had concerns, but we really sent the message to building level staff that there was an expectation they were going to have to sell this model, that they really had to demonstrate the effectiveness and as a part of that, I personally encourage people to reach out to parents. If you were calling consistently and saying, uh, this is Sharon, I'm your child's speech teacher, and I just wanted to touch base and let you know how he's doing, give you a quick progress update, because this is my consultative week, and give that information, you know, that is extremely welcome by parents. They're accustomed to hearing most of us only once a year, and that's when we show up at the IEP. So to actually have connection with us and be grounded and uh, connection with the home and the classroom really gave a lot of credibility to the fact that everybody was ready to do something different. We also explained to uh, families, because it turns out they had one of their big questions was, are we doing this because of budget cuts? And we hadn't put anything in terms of the letter and explaining that. And it, it, so I would definitely suggest if you do that, include how this addresses budgets. Their concern was 
really speech paths were going to be pulled during that consultative week to provide services in another building. And so we assured them that no, we were not doing this to strictly save money. We were really trying to be a better compliance with the expectation of the IEP that we're moving kids forward to uh, be successful in general education. It's very hard to do that if you never see how kids are taking your lessons and moving them into general ed. So with that said, I feel the team was highly successful because we actually had no parents and in every larger district you will and even smaller districts you will have parents that have some concerns if you don't do a good job educating the population and uh, we had no one approach administration requesting specialized meetings to further explain now a caveat to that is that we did uh, Definitely, there were some parents, a handful, like a handful, that said, I don't want anything to do with this. I want my child to still get services four, we four times a, you know, a month, and um, I don't think you need to be talking to teachers. <laughs> they need to be getting their direct service because there's this huge emphasis, obviously, in a parent's perspective on the need for direct service to affect change. Well instead of you know fighting tooth and nail it was much easier to talk to parents and say uh, you know what that's fine we can respect that so nearly all of our speech pathologists had just a handful of kids like three to five kids in their building that they may have chosen to continue service with during that con consultative week but seeing just those couple of kids that was nothing compared to um, you know trying to juggle the whole traditional workload in addition, we provided updates throughout the year to educate parents and keep them informed and teachers as far as how the consultative week was working. I cannot stress enough the need for ongoing consistent communication with the stakeholders because uh, if they don't understand what the benefit is, uh, then they're not going to get behind it. But one good example I like to share with families is, you know, your child may come in and say, I'm working on a book report, and I know they have to work on vocabulary, and reading comprehension is a concern. So I may be doing one thing in terms of vocabulary with that book, but if I actually had time to talk to the teacher, she may find a more uh, valuable piece like you know instead of working on that book report if you could focus on this vocabulary sign vocabulary related to a science lab we're going to be doing next week these are really abstract words that i think some of our kids might struggle with if you could do some pre-teaching that would really prepare them to be successful when we do that lab assignment now that doesn't seem like a big request but just finding the time to connect with teachers that can be immensely challenging so having this time built in now, what options, that's a nice transition to, what options did we give speech pathologists for that consultative week? Well, we told them you can, the expectation first and foremost is you'll be connecting with teachers, paraprofessionals, parents and other specialists in order to, you know, uh, better support a student. We did allow um, time, although it was expected not to be a dominating portion of your time, to develop materials for student use, make up, evaluate, make up sessions if a child was absent or you were absent. Uh, we did complete one or two student evaluations during that time because you can't put things on hold in order to meet compliance. But the nice part was I had a student evaluation, 
but I didn't just have to do standardized testing. I actually could use that consultative time to go in and talk to the teacher and say, okay, what does it look like when you say he can't follow directions? Is that in writing? Is that one part direction? Is that two? I'm, I've observed far more students in the classroom. Uh, it gave me a frame of expectation. We deal a lot with disability, but we don't deal a lot with typical development. And so sometimes it was helpful in the assessment to go to a teacher and say, show me like an average second graders work for this assignment and then show me the student you have concerns about. And I could really then see what the expectation for the teacher was. So uh, that was helpful and could be better reflected in evaluations and the need for services. We also uh, completed a little bit of paperwork but that wasn't the emphasis and definitely we did not want to send the message that this was a week off and people could walk by the office and just see us sitting at our desk doing paperwork or cutting out materials because that is not the message we want to send. Um, and then of course the last two were participating in special education meetings. We found that with that time off we were able to schedule uh, all sorts of evaluation planning or IEP meetings. Um, we no longer had to work for this narrow time frame. In my case, the learning specialist came to love that week and she's like, okay, we're going to completely utilize um, the, we're going to utilize the consultative week so that we can bring together OTPT and speech for particular kids during a teacher's planning time. So it wasn't always the formalized meetings, but just consultative meetings with other stakeholders. When our schedule became more flexible, it helped a great deal. And then finally, we also encourage folks to have uh, participate in small group workshops or discussions. The idea is oftentimes in uh, district speech pathologists even if there are several speech pathologists don't really get time to collaborate and otherwise you're fairly alone in the building and you come across things that you're like ah, I'm not sure how are we supposed to be dealing with this so uh, for example selective mutism was a topic we had three or four people get together review the research and then present to the larger group because we just saw a lot of that happening at the time um, you know, another one, we had a group working on autism and specific behaviors and kind of problem solving how they were each handling it. Um, one was assistive technology. And these groups were not formalized. They were kind of ebb and flow. They might have lasted just a couple of months or one meeting or the whole year. It just depended on what the needs of staff were to best support student needs. So for the pilot project, our data method was we provided a checklist of all these different kinds of activities, and then we asked clinicians to track just with a check mark, did you do this or not do this during this consultative week? And then we turned in that information. So um, it could be uh, quarterly, it could be put together and uh, determined if, uh, you know, on the whole, who was doing what kind of task? Did we see themes across the buildings? Did we see uh, themes across different student populations? Uh, so we did run across some very interesting things. For example, consultation with teachers and parents most heavily in the first half of the year. Everyone, 100%, were making an effort to connect. 
after that, our low scores probably by the end of the year, that number was still at about 85% of us were spending consultative weeks doing that, but not absolutely every single one. And in conversations, what we learned was once you had an understanding of what was expected in the classroom and teachers were knowing, learning that you were available for that uh, connection, then they... Uh, would come to you or send emails more frequently during those other three weeks. You didn't necessarily have to wait till a consultative week. So at that point, um, what we also learned in our data, because it was a highly successful experience for everybody involved, was that paraprofessionals turned out to be an asset and a source of information that we really have not tapped well, whether they be general education assistants or classroom volunteers or special education paraprofessionals, these folks had more flexibility to step aside in a classroom or step outside of a classroom and really give you the nitty gritty of what's happening. Well, this is what the child's doing. And if you wanted to see things implemented in the classroom, they were all about how they could help out. They are also a population in our school districts that are often starved for professional development. They really crave, ironically, because they have the most contact time with kids in terms of them not getting the support they need, but they really crave the opportunity to help kids do a better job. So uh, I think my favorite day of the whole pilot experience was when I, we were probably three or four months in and these paraprofessionals started stopping by my office and knocking on the door and said, hey, do you have a minute? I just want to tell you Johnny did X, Y, and Z, and I hadn't seen him do that before. Well, that was truly remarkable. I was so grateful to now have this information actually coming to me versus having to, uh, you know, do my best effort to try to obtain it by running around um, with other folks. So the results were really a highly successful experience. It did look different in every building and we were okay with that. You know, it was uh, depending on your student population, that was simply going to happen. I do want to say something about self-contained classrooms because we had a professional disagreement among probably a 50-50 split among our specialists and our speech pathologists felt, some felt, half felt, you know, those kids are the most compromised so they really deserve a great deal of our attention and we cannot stop seeing them during that uh, consultative week. And another half of the group felt that this student population, frankly, has so much support that they are not in need of our uh, support during that week because they have almost wraparound services. So we decided, since there was no clear answer, we decided to uh, politely just uh, agree to disagree politely agree to disagree. So that's, uh, that is what we did. So this final part I would like to talk about in terms of the service delivery model are frequently asked questions that I often hear uh, during this time. And one of them is, you know, how do you document time on the IEP? Well, we really transitioned over that year, all of our IEPs to reflect time per month minutes per month because, and actually to capture some of the consultative time we didn't normally um, put on an IEP. And that was more reflective. And once parents started experiencing this uh, 
a greater contact with us during the year, we really didn't get pushback on changing the time to month. And if we did, it was no problem. We simply maintained that connection. So uh, the other question we would get is when did we do testing? Nothing changed. We continued to do testing throughout the month. Uh, the other consultation question was, did we just see teachers? And in fact, no, we didn't just see teachers. Uh, we worked with anyone who had contact with the child. In one situation, very unique, I actually worked with a parole officer to keep him in the loop as to what was happening in school. And he was open and really a great resource to keep a student on track. So, uh, but of course, most of the time I'm working with parents and teachers. Uh, so, the last two questions, how did uh, we deal with resistant speech pathologists? Uh, I addressed that a bit um, with parents. Well, we really told folks, look, if you do not want to move to this consultative model because for whatever reason that doesn't feel like a good fit, don't do it. Just continue doing your four weeks of direct intervention like you have uh, for your workload. And then as you learn more and experience more and hear from others, we really found that, you know, the three or four SLPs that were a bit resistant, and it's not that they didn't want, that they were resistant to change so much as they really weren't sure how best to implement it in their building. But once they started getting feedback from lots of other speech pathologists as far as how they did it, they really did jump on board in time. And then finally, I did want to say, I love the question I get, Sharon, there is always so much to do. Where do I possibly begin? And so these are the five areas in which I want you to keep in mind when you're beginning. Number one, start small. It takes a long time to get familiar with curriculum and there's no way you're gonna get familiar with the all curriculum for all kids that you see. So really pick areas that you feel most appropriately relate to the IEP goals you're already striving to meet. Language arts often meets a great deal of uh, many of our language students. Uh, number two, identify where you're gonna get the biggest bang for your buck. You know, I we often worry about the teacher who doesn't wanna let us in the classroom at all. Don't stress over that one teacher. You've got four other teachers that welcome your input and want to give feedback, and maybe that first teacher will come around once they see that you're not a threat in the classroom and actually can help lighten their load and that you're going to help them move the child towards their goal that they have. Number three, advertise even your smallest successes. Uh, whether or not you just collaborated in a beautiful manner on a particular project and it didn't feel like a big deal, celebrate that. Send an email to the teacher how much you appreciate it. Send an email to the principal how much you appreciate the teacher. And really share with parents, like we were working together and this is what we did. You, If you don't share those successes, then people are not gonna see where the difference is happening. Number four, get back in touch with typical development. We don't do a great, you know, after a while, your perception gets skewed as far as what in the world, you know, does typical look like? You know, you're like, okay, you see, you test so many students with disability that you really lose touch with what can a fourth grader do when it comes to X, Y, or Z. And so spending time in classrooms and seeing behaviorally how they interact, work samples that they produce, it really gives you a best frame of reference on where your student is or where they are not and helps you advocate for what they may need in an evaluation or on an IEP or an intervention. 
And finally, number five, I really suggest you have to get into the heads of teachers. Education in our public schools is really about general education expectations, and that's what teachers are striving for. They know what their school improvement plan is or district objectives and benchmarks their kids are trying to reach. You need to have an understanding of what a teacher is going after in order to really support a teacher and a student in their classroom. So that are those are uh, the best ways you can uh, start, in my opinion. And also realize that you're going to create this laundry list as the weeks go on of things you want to do in that one consultative week, and you're not going to get to everything. So I guess my final point is to be kind to yourself because uh, there is always so much more that can be done, and we need to just celebrate that which we do get done and know that we are always working in the best interests of kids. Congrats! You just earned 30 minutes of CEUs approved by the Oregon State Board of Examiners. Wasn't that easy? To document your participation, please visit www.thehellofoundationschools.com CEU. You can also find the blog post for this and all of our episodes at www.thehellofoundationschools.com. This is the best way to get in touch with our guests with your questions and comments. And if you want updates about upcoming shows and opportunities to participate, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.